Welcome to the Grace Capital City Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. This is just, just going to be a short word tonight, which I know is the promise of preachers around the world every Sunday, right? <laughs> um, but I, I, I did feel, you know, just with everything going on and, and Pentecost, it just felt like we needed to have a night of worship and ministry. And so I just want to make sure we leave space um, for us to kind of go back into that. Um, this, this church was birthed, this, this church was commissioned at Pentecost 2015, you, you may not know that, in Atlanta, there was a gathering of a family of churches at the Tabernacle. Anyone ever been to the Tabernacle in Atlanta? Anyone been to a concert there? It's, it's, a, it's an old church they now use as a concert venue, and we turned it back into a church six years ago. You better believe we had church there, um, and it was awesome. So there's a rich Pentecost history, of course, in, in the global church, when we remember the, the giving of the Holy Spirit and the birthing of the Christian church. But even, even amongst our church, Pentecost holds really significant, uh, real important significance. So go ahead and turn Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I, I do want to just read the story of the upper room for us and then just share a few things that I felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me. Um, for our community and for our family tonight. So chapter 2, Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, I'll dive straight in. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native, native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So this is, this is the day of Pentecost. Now, a chapter earlier, Acts chapter 1, when you have the, these 40 days where the disciples are hanging out with the resurrected Christ. It says that they spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. I feel like that would have been some pretty rich teaching to have been exposed to. But one of the things Jesus gives to them, one of the things he imparts to them in those 40 days before the day of ascension is a very specific instruction. And it's a one word instruction that if we, we don't understand the full context of it or where 
Jesus was coming from, what was promised, it, it could almost sound passive, right? It could almost sound fearful or, or even slow in a sense. And as we begin to understand it, though, we, we begin to realize that that one word instruction is perhaps the most important instruction he gives to them and one of the most important instructions he still gives to us. And that instruction is wait. You remember that? He says, wait, wait on God. Do not do anything. <laughs> don't leave Jerusalem. Don't, don't try and start ministering just yet because anything you're going to do is, is really not going to carry a whole lot of weight. It's not going to carry a lot of significance and power until you receive the gift that I am going to give you. And once you've received the gift that I'm going to give you, it's going to empower you and it's going to send you, do you remember, to Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria, which is kind of the regions just near Jerusalem, and then to the ends of the earth. But before you go to Judea and Samaria, before you go to the ends of the earth, in fact, before you even go to Jerusalem and begin ministering, I need you to wait because I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting for that moment. And of course, what we read about here in Acts chapter 2 is this moment and and God delivers in spectacular fashion, right? <laughs> I mean, tongues of fire resting on the heads of the disciples, the sound of a, of a violent wind in the upper room, just the blowing of the wind. And then the disciples begin speaking in angelic languages. They, they're hearing them with the, with the gift of interpretation, right? Hearing them in their own language. And then you've got... The, the people around them and they're looking and they're like, like this just looks like a, a banger of a frat party or something. Like it is something is happening in this room as they have waited and then God is delivering in a powerful and spectacular way the gift, the gift of the helper, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what struck me this Pentecost is like many of you guys, I've, I've read that story many, many times. What struck me this time is, is what happens after. Because, because on that day of Pentecost, something really significant had shifted, right? The, the nearness and presence of God that up until that moment, throughout the Old Testament, had been accessible in certain moments, certain times, certain places. You know, you have Moses encountering God on Mount Sinai. You have... You have the, the tabernacle that the Israelites would take with them through the wilderness. You have Solomon's temple where you could approach God in the Holy of Holies. And then you have the incarnation of Jesus where the presence of God, the nearness of God is, is incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Up until that time, the presence of God, the nearness of God was, was, was approachable in those moments. But something shifted in Pentecost where all of a sudden every man, woman, and child who confesses Jesus as Lord receives the full measure of the presence of God, right? This is a, a very significant shift in how God had related to his people up until that time. No more ceremonial washing, no more just that the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, no more looking for Jesus. Remember, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, it's better that I go, that the helper may come. This is the reason, because if I stay, then to approach God, you just got to find me, and I might be hanging out in you know, Palestine somewhere. But if the Spirit comes, 
and you have a spirit-filled and a spirit-empowered church in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, then my glory will flood the nations. And so something really significant shifts on this day of Pentecost. And it's interesting to me where it kind of leads them. There's, There's a few key moments that they begin to be led by the Holy Spirit coming out of this shift. First of all, I think it's interesting that the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit draws them to each other. Now, if, if we had more time, we, we would dive into chapter 2, verse 42. But what we read about in that verse is a radical, spirit-filled, empowered community of believers. And they, they, they are sharing and carrying one another's burdens. And they're breaking bread together. And they're experiencing fellowship together. It says they're praying. It says that God is doing signs and wonders and miracles through that community. But it's so interesting to me that the first thing the Spirit does is not send them out, but it draws them in. So they're drawn into this community, this this radical fellowship with one another. Now, I I think this is, this can be challenging, right? Especially for a room full of DC go-getters, you know? All you guys are just like, all right, I got the word, I got the plan, I got the vision, I'm going after it. God's told me what to do, and and, and I'm just going after it with my whole life, right? I think that's the mindset we have a lot of the time, and we we feel sent by God. But it's it's this picture where God is saying, no, no, before you do anything out there, I need you to do something in here, right? I, I need you to start doing the things that you can do. Start eating together. Start learning to forgive one another. Start, start modeling a radical new way of being in relationship and community and family together. So start showing that to the world. Start praying without ceasing, right? Start doing the things that you can do, and then in return, I'll do the things that I can do, signs, wonders, and miracles, right? You do what you can do. You start living in right relationship with one another. And I promise you, I'm going to do the things that I can do. Guys, and I think this is so important. And it reminds us that if you're not ready to host a meal, then you're not ready to host a miracle. You like that one? If you're not ready to steward a a relationship, then you're not ready to steward a revival. I mean, there are so many people and they're like, I want to see God move in my day. And I'm hungry for revival and I'm hungry for God to use me. And then you get up close and it's a mess. And there's a pattern of broken relationships. And it's like, okay, one, I'll give you two. You will give grace on that three, four, maybe. But there's a common denominator in what is going on here. And there's some brokenness coming from your life, right? You you think it's all about this, and God's reminding us all the time that this is deeply connected to this. If you're not ready to host a meal, you're not ready to host a miracle, right? God draws them into each other before he sends them out and says, I want to show you a new way of being. And then signs, wonders, miracles, healings, all the things that God does flow out of that community. I think that's so interesting. Draws them into each other. Second thing, then he begins to, he begins to kind of push them beyond themselves a bit, right? Remember the instruction was Jerusalem 
and then Judea and Samaria. So then it's like, okay, I'm going to lift your eyes and you're going to start to see around you. And I, I think one of the, probably the most graphic example of this movement is chapter 3 in Acts where Peter and John encounter the crippled beggar at the gate beautiful. You guys know that story. And they encounter this man and he's been asking for money. He's asking for his physical needs to be met. Been there a long time. He's asking Peter and John. And, and, and I honestly, I think this is a light bulb moment in some ways for Peter and John because Peter and John realize they cannot meet his physical need. They are acutely aware, I got no money, I got no bread, I have no material possessions that I can offer you. So they're acutely aware of what they don't have, but coming out of Pentecost, they have this heightened awareness of what they do have. They're like, I can give you something far more valuable, something greater. Like, I have, I have encountered the living God, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, and I can point you towards Bread that will satisfy you forever. Living water where you'll never thirst again. Right, Peter and John realized, I've actually got something to give brokenness that goes way beyond just the thing that they are asking for. And guys, I think this is, again, a word for our church, right? We, there is a mandate on our church to be involved in, in the kingdom work of God on this earth, right? And that, that expresses itself in so many ways. It, it's like I said, community, eradicating loneliness, inviting people in. It's, it's justice works. There are people here working on the front lines, being involved in conversations around systemic oppression and injustice on this earth, right? Getting their hands dirty, right? Important things. There is a mandate on this church to be involved in this kind of work. But guys, here's the thing. It is so easy to offer people the kingdom and forget to point them towards the king, right? Because ultimately, the only thing we have of eternal value to offer is Jesus. I got nothing to give you but Jesus. I've got nothing that can transform you forever but Jesus. It is good work. It is important work. But ultimately, we are the church of Jesus. And we keep saying, just like Peter and John, I got no silver. I got no gold. I got Jesus. And I can point people towards Jesus. Let's, let's, let's never offer the kingdom without the king, right? And then finally, the Holy Spirit. And we see it in the book of Acts. He, 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 lifts, he lifts their eyes beyond themselves to see what God is doing across the earth. And it, it's interesting, Acts 6, you have Stephen, who's stoned and killed as a martyr, the first martyr of the New Testament. And it's that that sends them. It's the persecution that sends them into the corners of the earth. And we start to hear the stories even in the New Testament and beyond. I mean, Thomas is said to have brought the gospel all the way to India. You have Paul, not one of the 12, but of course travels the Roman Empire. You have, you have a John who bases himself in Ephesus. They plant the church of the Ephesians, which becomes one of the center church planting hubs of the New Testament. And these people catch a vision for the ends of the earth, for God's glory to flood the nations. Now, what we need to realize in, in all three of these things is that God's church is being planted. That's what's happening in Acts. 
And it's, it's, it's stretching and challenging our idea of what God's church on the earth is and what it's supposed to be about. Because we could say, well, God's church is, is this. It's this gathering. And like, like, yeah, okay, you got a tiny piece of the pie there. God's church are the people that confess Jesus as Lord. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's baseline, foundation. That's, we have a king of this church. But in Acts, we see God's church are the people moving together in radical discipleship and community, right? That God's church are the people being, being pushed towards the broken places in our world, in our society, in our culture. That God's church are the people having their eyes lifted to see God establishing a kingdom, a new rule and a new reign on the earth. That is God's church. And none of this happens without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says, wait. <laughs> wait. I got, I got something really spectacular for you to do. But you need to, you need to tarry. You need to wait. You need to linger a little longer. A little longer. Seek my face a little longer. Come before me again and again and again. Isn't that a word for us tonight? To wait. Wait a little longer. John, where's John? There you are. Give it up for John Docker, everybody. I, I had a word last Sunday about our church being a kingdom crockpot. <laughs> and then Jolie came up to me after and said there were two people here with crockpots. Who brings a crockpot to church? Is that, is that, a th- is that, am I missing something? Are we all bringing crockpots now? Is it? But I love that image. I, it, it hit me hard because I feel like our church is supposed to be the place where you have people and they're bringing their dream and their passion and their vision. And it's unique, right? Not everyone brings a potato to a crockpot or it's a pretty boring crockpot meal. Not everyone has the same way that the kingdom expresses itself in their personal life and professional life, right? But every one of us has something that they bring, something burning in you that God has given you. And for some of you, it's, it's education or it's, it's government or it's the arts or it's parenting or it's coming alongside people who are experiencing brokenness and hopelessness, mental health. Discipleship. I've, I've been around so many people in our church and they just have a passion to see men and women just break free from chains that have held them down, right? I mean, that's like the carrots and the peas and the meat and we're bringing it together. And, and I feel like this, this kingdom crockpot is the place where we come and we wait on God, right? And, and your flavors make my flavors even better. And what you're passionate about makes my passion, fuels my faith to see what God is doing over here and in the church. We cheer each other on and we champion each other and we say, yes, yes, yes. But it's it's really easy for the fire to go out, isn't it? Isn't it? I think it's it's so easy to have a, a God dream, a God vision little spark inside of you and without brothers and sisters around you to lift up your arms and remind you again and again this is what God says 
the fire goes out. And I had this sense, I had this sense tonight that just as the disciples were activated at the first Pentecost, I felt like tonight was supposed to be a night of activation. I mean, COVID, if nothing else, has created like a, like a slumber. And I know it did in my soul, it has. Where you feel like you're just sleepwalking through life. I feel like God wants to reawaken some kingdom dreams tonight. I feel like God wants to lift our eyes again and see that you've been tarrying in the upper room. You've been waiting for me, now I'm ready. You're ready. And there's Jerusalem, there's brokenness right here. There's community to be made, there's things to do. And then there's things beyond. And there's things beyond even that that I want to send you to and I want to use you in. And it may not even be geographic. Sending might be a stretching. And so we wanted to create some space tonight for for a time of really intentional ministry. You know, Anya pointed this out in the team gathering before. We haven't really had a physical prayer team since COVID, since 15 months. What a night. Pentecost is the night to reawaken the prayer team. <laughs> so this is what we're going to do. We're going to have some space and some time. And we're going to have four, uh, four kind of prayer stations. It's going to be one back left, one back right. And there's going to be two up here, just like where we used to do it pre-COVID. And some of our staff, some of our prayer team, some of our leadership council are going to be there. And we're just going to pray a prayer of awakening. Just like we were singing and prophesying earlier, come alive in the name of Jesus, come alive. Right? That whatever God has put in you, whatever you've waited on, that there would be a season coming where God begins to activate you into that promise, into that work, into the mission He's given you. Now, we recognize we haven't done prayer like that in quite a while. If you don't feel comfortable, just we are so glad you are here. All right? I, I mean that. There are people just coming back. We are so glad. If you don't feel comfortable to come kind of close to a prayer team, that is totally fine. You sit and you wait on God in your pew. But for everyone else, come on. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. It's time. It's time. We're going to have communion there as well at the station. You can take one of the communions and you can take it back to your pew and just receive that as you feel ready. But why don't we have the prayer team now and the people that are going to be praying to head over into those stations. And then John's just going to play. When the time's right, David will come and lead us in some more worship.